0: Friends, we're getting straight to it because this is a long conversation. It's worth every single second of your time to listen to it. It is time to shout some worth and shift some narratives for people with Down syndrome. Today, I am really excited. We have Tim Vegas from Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education on the podcast. He's here to discuss the impact of meaningful and successful inclusion in our schools, his personal experiences with inclusion in the classroom, so much more. He's got a great story. Tons and tons and tons of resources. You're going to want to have a little notebook with a pen and paper for this one. Excited to have him on today. Welcome, everybody, to the Lucky Few Podcast. Before we hear from our guests, I'm going to read a kind review from one of you amazing listeners. This comes from Megan. Megan says, the honesty, the openness, the various experiences and levels, the advice to your previous selves. My children do not have Down syndrome, but they do have an IEP and everything you talk about is so important and valuable and supportive and helpful. So thank you. Megan, thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to us. That you left a review. Really grateful for the feedback and grateful to know that this podcast is meaningful for you. Even when your child doesn't have Down syndrome, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of universal topics that we talk about here. So thank you so much, friends and listeners. If you have not left a review yet, we love to hear from you. You can head to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. And maybe we'll read it here next week. All right, everybody, today we are here with Tim Vegas. He is the director of communications for the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, also referred to from time to time in this podcast as MCIE, which is a nonprofit that seeks to be the catalyst for the meaningful and successful inclusion of all learners in their neighborhood schools. He is the founder of Think Inclusive, a podcast for inclusive education, and Inclusive Stories, a narrative podcast series about families and school districts fully committed to inclusive education, which are both produced by MCIE. Friends, I am a listener of Think Inclusive, and I'm so excited for the Inclusive Stories podcast. Both of these podcasts are worth your time and energy. So much gold there. And he's gonna talk about it in our interview here in just a minute. Throughout his 16 year career as a special education teacher, Tim advocated for including students with extensive support needs in general education classrooms. He continues to work with MCIE to empower schools and districts to move forward, to move toward inclusive practices for each and every learner. So grateful to have him on the show today. Okay. All right. Tim Viegas, welcome to the podcast. So excited you're here. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Of course. I'm super excited to be here.
0: I'll tell our listeners, we just wrapped up a podcast. Tim has a podcast and I was just a guest on his podcast, which is always fun to make it work this way. Um, And so we just had a really good conversation and it's exciting to get to know Tim. Listeners, I, Tim and I, well, I connected with Tim through a friend, a mutual friend, Vicki, who is part of the Inclusive Education Project, through she's a lawyer and is in Southern California. We have had her on the podcast once or twice already, but she connected us. And then we also have a mutual connection through Club 21, which, if you're a listener, you've heard me talk about a lot, which is a Down Syndrome organization for families in the Pasadena area in California. So, Tim. So happy you're here. So happy to connect with you. Will you, let's start with this. I want you to go all the way back to your background in education. You are special, you are an educator. Let's go there. How did you get into education? Sure. Well, where do you live? Let's start with that. Where do you live? And then how did you get into education? And how did you get into special education? And how did you get into inclusion? That's so many questions. Go.
1: That's a lot of questions, but we can do it. Um, So I currently live in the Atlanta metro area. And I've lived here since 2008, but I'm not originally from here. I moved in, I I grew up in Southern California in a town called Arcadia. That's where I grew up. And then uh, went to high school in Sierra Madre. And then went to college in in Azusa, California. Met my wife in uh, Silver Lake. Um, at a, at the club, at the club, <laughs> uh, rock club, actually, <laughs> and uh, through mutual friends. Um, and then when we got married, we lived in Pasadena, um, which is, so I consider Pasadena my hometown. Yeah. I love it. I, Yeah. And that's where I'll, I'll actually, I got my first job there too.
0: Okay. I will. I, I lived in Arcadia for a year. I just have been in all these, I know exactly where everything is. Listener, all these cities he listed are all very close to each other. They're all just neighbor, neighboring yeah. cities. And it's a great place to visit or live. It's a, it's a cool place. All of that area is.
1: It's so cool. Yeah. And you know, there's all these like great towns in between. Like I'm thinking about Monrovia, um, you know, uh, like Temple city, you know, yeah. like Glendale, Burbank. And then there's of course LA, but um yeah, just a, it was a great experience. Um, I'm glad, you know, I mean, it's it's where my family is. My family still lives in um, the L.A. County area. My, my dad lives in um, uh, Seal Beach mm-hmm. and my mom lives in Lancaster. So I think, believe it or not, that's all L.A. County because it yeah. it's a huge, it's huge. area. Um, but like I was telling uh, you before, my first teaching job was in... Um, Pasadena Unified at a a little school um, called Webster Elementary, and I taught in a uh, self-contained special education class for students with um, moderate to severe autism is what it was Mm -hmm. called. You know, I I wouldn't necessarily use that terminology now, but as, as you know, that's what that's what it was called. And how I got there was I. Actually, did not want to be a teacher. I wanted to be a counselor. I wanted to be a therapist. Um, I went to school for, in psychology, and uh, my the last class of my senior year, I I took uh, the psychology of the exceptional child, which I, I thought I was going to learn about like gifted kids, but I had no experience with special education or or anything like that. I, I went to private school, you know. And looking back, we certainly had, you know learners with disabilities, it just, you know, there wasn't anything that stood out as that they were getting so much different. It just was, they were just there and it was fine and it was just normal. So um, one of the assignments for that particular class was to, to visit a special education classroom in middle school. And I visited and it was a small group class, probably what you would call like a resource room or something like that. There was a one teacher, uh, I remember he had like a Hawaiian shirt on and there was probably 7, 8 or 9 kids in the class and they were doing something regarding math and I just thought like what I don't understand what is special about this other than it's smaller um so I kind of tucked that away in the back of my mind and you know finished my requirements but I didn't really think about that until I started thinking about becoming a teacher uh, and that was after I got my my first job outside of uh, college as a behavior therapist for students with autism or learners with autism, so like three, four, and five year olds. So, um, and I did like in home therapy and in school therapy. And one of my assignments for that job was to be an inc- inclusion aide. I think is is what I called they called me. And I was basically a shadow for a a young, like a kindergartner with autism. And I would assist um, them with communication and, you know, sensory breaks and needs and stuff like that. But I had no sort of idea that this was not the norm. Like, you know, I had no concept of that there might be like autism classrooms somewhere or, you know, like separate segregated settings it, it was all brand new to me and then when i uh, i had a, a a very brief um uh time trying to break out as a musician <laughs>
0: you gotta try in it LA. you gotta try it you're in la i mean
1: <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh for, fortunately i met my wife and i was like i don't think i can pay any bills being a musician so maybe you know i really liked working with um kids on the autism spectrum so i'm like well i think i think i want to be a teacher so i i attended a session at cal state fullerton for their special education program and i remember my advisor um her name uh is jan weiner Uh, i have no idea what she's doing now but uh she had kind of like well if you want to go in this direction you you want to get a moderate severe credential uh, in California, so that's why I did. I went, and uh, fortunately, California State um, University in Fullerton is very inclusively minded. And I was taught about you know collaboration between general and special education teachers. I was taught about inclusion plans. Um, I was I was taught about how to adapt curriculum uh, for students with uh, more extensive support needs in general education. I just had all this wealth of knowledge. I had no idea even existed. And then I got my first teaching job and, you know, I was in a, I was in a class, um, that we were never expected to leave that class. It was just me and my four or five kids and my paraprofessionals. And they're like, okay, here's your stuff. Good luck. (laughs) Um, and it wasn't until. Um, again, an assignment by my professor, uh, who was my advisor, um, uh, Dr. Jan Weiner, she said, look, I want you to include a, create an inclusion plan for one of your students and, um, you know, work with a general education Mm -hmm. teacher to make that happen. And I was like, Ooh, I don't, mm, I don't know if that's going to work, you know, I mean, have you met my kids, Mm -hmm. you know, they're like making noises and, you know, they're physically aggressive and I just, mm, I don't know. I don't know about this. And she's like, well, just, just try it and, um, and let me know how, how it, um, works out. And so I, I selected my student and I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. This isn't, this isn't going to be easy, but, um. what do, I usually call him Nathan, I think. And so Nathan and, um, I, we, you know, the whole idea about the inclusion plan was to build a experience for the learner, uh, centered around their strengths. Mm-hmm. So Nathan, um, you know, is, was a non-speaker, uh, but he had some really great strengths, uh, with fine motor skills. So like he could, you, he could, like cut with scissors, like really like exceptional. He he had exceptional balance. Um, He could, his, his hand dexterity, like he could tear up little pieces of paper. This was like a Mm stim that he did, you know, and like let the pieces fall down, you know, and like, okay, well, these are the things that he really enjoys. He really likes working with his hands. So maybe we could do something with that. So I did collaborate with a fifth grade teacher and I believe it was a social studies assignment and the assignment was centered around creating topography maps, hmm. so we used cardboard like uh, uh, sheets of cardboard, and uh, Nathan was going to cut out the uh, cardboard pieces to glue on top of each other to make these three d maps and I was I'm like, I'm just not sure how this is gonna go, but we we went to class. And he, he, you know, he sat with the group and he cut and there were no behaviors. There were, you know, very, very few, uh, vocal, you know, um, uh, you know, stems or anything like that. And I was like, oh, um, all you have to do is like plan for it and you just have to plan. And then I'm like, uh, well, if that's, if that's all that this, you know, this inclusion plan needs to happen, you just, you plan for it, then. Why can't I just do this with everyone? Mm -hmm. And so once Nathan and I got back to class, that really changed how I viewed. Um, whether inclusion could be successful now, my understanding of inclusion was still pretty rudimentary, Mm -hmm. but I understood that it wasn't for, it, 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 it had nothing to do with Nathan, right? It had to do with how we were supporting Nathan. And how we were supporting, you know, what he was learning in that class using his strengths and interests. So, you know, I tried to make an impact uh, in the four years I was there in Pasadena, and then uh, you know, learning a lot more. And in fact, um, I met uh, Kristen Enriquez. Kristen Enriquez, uh, which... she's been a guest on the podcast. Yes, Kristen's
0: brilliant and wonderful. Yes,
1: I know, right? Yeah. So, Kristen Enriquez was my. Um, I don't know what you would, I forgot what the, the title, but she essentially was my support specialist. Mm -hmm. And so she would, um, you know, come in and give me advice and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's funny how Mm -hmm. we're all connected like this. So yeah, Kristen and I knew each other way back then. And then, um, I moved to Georgia and got a job in a classroom for students with moderate, uh, um, profound, uh, Intellectual disability, severe and profound intellectual disabilities is what we called it. So uh, I had a number of uh, learners with um, multiple disabilities, um, you know, s- some autism, some intellectual, some, mm-hmm. some mixed and stuff like that. And I had the opportunity to include one of my learners in first grade because of a pilot inclusion mm-hmm. program that the Georgia Department of Education was um they were trying to find teachers to do it and so i i had already established through conversations with my principal and you know when i got hired that i was you know 100% i wanted inclusion you know like i'm interested in this i want to grow in this and so they're like well the, you know tim is the inclusion guy so why don't you go work with him and um so i i worked with a um consultant uh and her name is Gail Wilkins uh, and we are still um, she's still a mentor of mine that we meet every once in a while. But um she really just helped me with the nuts and bolts of what that looked like for for my learner. And it, you know, it's the same idea about planning for inclusion and planning for the success of of the learner, but just in a more like systemic and you know, long term way. So we included um a uh one of my students, his name is Damien, uh he was in, I think, two, one or two segments in first grade, and then as we moved throughout the school years up until fifth grade, he uh, spent more and more time in the general education classroom. So um, I was able to work with, you know, more educators and uh, try to really bring an inclusive mindset to to my school in in um, Cobb County, Georgia.
0: Such a journey. I, you had shared, I don't know if you said it here in our conversation before, but you had shared that you had gone to private school from kinder through college. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting hearing you talk about your thoughts around like a separate classroom versus not, like I, that it felt surprising to you to be in a school setting and all the classrooms are for people with disabilities are separate because in a, most private schools don't have a separate special education program. Like you said, there were kids at the school who had disabilities and needed support. But most private schools, and I would assume your private school, didn't have a separate special education program, right?
1: No, that's correct.
0: So what an interesting idea that you weren't brought up in the educational space with thinking, oh, those kids go over here. You know, like, oh, because my right. upbringing was in a public school in in Southern California with a special ed program with those kids over there in that separate class. And how that... Yeah. Just the absence of a special ed program, <laughs> right? We're, we're not going to have that conversation, but the absence of that is part foundationally for you for think for being inclusively minded. That's wild,
1: right? Yeah, it was uh, yeah, definitely by yeah, accident. Yeah,
0: it all. But but also then it sounds like your professor was a real catalyst for that too. Your professor in Fullerton in having you think that way inclusively
1: yeah yeah there's yeah um, you know she was instrumental in, in changing my mindset um, because I was I was definitely an inclusion skeptic mm. you know I went into uh, my teacher education program going well I don't know if inclusion is right for those mm-hmm. kids you know the ones with real extensive, you know, behavior support needs, and you know, intellectual disabilities, and you know, uh, those those kids who are non-speaking. And I just, I was like, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't understand how it would right. work. You know, and it wasn't that I was against it. I just was definitely more like, I don't, I'm not sure that this is right. right. You know, and it wasn't until I, I experienced it myself. Um, you know, first with Nathan, but then also. With Damien, um, that's when I was like, oh, and I just kept wanting to know mm-hmm. more and learn more. And um, that, that's when I started to really uh, interact and talk and be, become friends with, you know, other advocates uh, and other disabled advocates. Because, you know, in school, it everything I learned was from, you know, people without disabilities, mm. you know. Yeah. Everything I learned about disability was, you know, by educational experts with PhDs, and it wasn't. It wasn't until I started really listening to actually disabled mm-hmm. people and actually autistic people, or actually, you know, people who, you know, um, who have been marginalized and who have been excluded that I was like, oh, like, you mean I'm not like. I'm not like the savior here. <laughs>
0: Everyone told me I'm so great. <laughs> right.
1: My, my right. Oh, you're so yeah. patient. Oh, you're such an angel. Oh, you're su- right. You're, a, you're a saint for doing That's what right. you're doing. I could never I could do never what you do. It. do it.
0: Yes. I used to teach special education. Yeah. Yes. It's it felt good. Right. It felt good until you realize where it's coming from. Then it, it feels so icky, but somewhere around there, it was like, Oh, that feels nice. It's <laughs> <That's> another <laughs> conversation. Um,
1: yeah, another conversation okay,
0: I want to talk, I want to get into like the meat of inclusion. And I want to start by asking you if you can explain to our listeners what it is that inclusive practices mean. So inclusion, maybe even like inclusion versus inclusive practices or inclusion hmm. and inclusive practices. What does that mean as an inclusion person? Well, I
1: think, yeah, I think uh, like inclusion um, can... I think inclusion—you can be talking about like the philosophy of inclusion and also the practice of inclusion. So I think that there's there can be some um, confusion and miscommunication between the terms. Um, But really, when I'm when I'm talking about or when we and when I say we, the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, because that is that is quite literally my job is to talk about you know what we do. And also, um, how we are messaging what inclusive education really means. Um, we talk about um, essentially four ideas. So the first idea is that you have to be physically present uh, in you know, in a space with everyone else to be included, and and we start with that because. And well, I'll get to that in a minute. But I think that sometimes when we're talking about inclusive education and we're talking about belonging, we're talking about community, and those are all wonderful and great things, sometimes we miss that if you aren't actually in the space with everyone else, you aren't actually included. And so that is kind of the first step and the first way we describe it. Um, And then we talk about membership. So, and membership is really, also belonging. And if I, so I'm there, I'm in the class, I'm in the space, I'm in the community, I'm in the church, I'm in the the grocery store, I'm in, you know, the, the recreational area. Um, so that's the first step, but how do I feel when I'm there? And, um, am I a member of that community? Am I missed when I'm gone? Yeah. You know, are people like, Oh, where's Tim? You know, um, do I, do I feel, um, like I have friends, do I, you know, am I an integral part of that community? Um, so that's the second thing. So, uh, placement membership and belonging. Um, and then when I'm there and when I'm feeling like I belong, what am I learning? You know, what, what am I learning in the particular class? And so a lot of times you have, uh, students with disabilities and especially those with more extensive support needs in a class but they're in the back of the class they're they're with a, a paraprofessional and maybe they're working on something completely different and um, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, cartoons by Michael Jean Greco but there's this um, there's this great uh, visual of a classroom and in the corner of the 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 picture is like an island with Mm -hmm. a palm tree and and sand and the the person with the disability is sitting at a table with another adult and they're just completely doing something different they're completely separate so that's another kind of segregation when you're really thinking about it um so are the things that i'm learning in that class the same as everyone else and are the expectations Mm -hmm. high so what am i learning and then finally um membership uh, and then participation. So how am I, um, what am I doing in the class? Like, am I participating in the life of the class? Do I have a classroom job? Um, do like, what's my role out on the playground? Um, how does everyone else see me? You know, so these are all aspects of the bigger uh, part of what, Inclusion means, uh, you know, when we're talking about it. And so that's for the learner, you know, that's how the learner feels is that uh, the placement membership participation in learning. But then beyond that, when we're talking about inclusive practices, you know, are general and special education teachers, uh, do they have the time to collaborate to universally design lessons? You know, are The learners with disabilities all in one class, you know, called the inclusion class and all the other ones are not the inclusion class or are they naturally distributed across uh, a grade level in what we call natural Mm -hmm. proportions. So it it whereas um, a class would only have maybe 10 to 15 percent of those students. You know, have uh, an identified disability, you know, and then also when we're thinking about curriculum, um, are there uh, multiple, you know, multi tier systems of support, you know, for that school and for that uh, community and where that base level of that number one tier is everyone getting quality mm-hmm. instruction? Is everyone getting engaging instruction? So those are the things that we really look at as far as you know um, inclusive practices. Mm-hmm. The, the other big part of it is leadership. So are the principals and the associate superintendents and the supervisors, um, are they all pursuing uh, inclusion for all learners? And not just for learners with disabilities, but, you know, for learners who are English language learners, um, for, um, for you know, people with different identities, you know, we have to, we have to think about that. It's not just about students with disabilities.
0: Yeah. Super helpful. Placement, membership, participation, learning. I love that. I'm going to be thinking on that some more.
1: Just really quickly. the the So the membership, participation, and learning comes from the beyond access model, which is from the University of New Hampshire, so Michael McSheen and Cheryl Jorgensen. I just want to make sure that they are credited for that. But that—that's just that's where it all comes from. So if you're interested in learning more about that, that's that's where it is.
0: Um, you mentioned that you work with the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and I mentioned it, I'll mention it in the intro, but you had said that, and so um you do communications you're head of communications right for the Maryland Coalition for yeah. Inclusive Education Services can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what that is the MCIE what it is and what makes those services unique and also you don't live in Maryland
1: that's that's right I don't <laughs> I don't as far as MCIE goes uh, we primarily um we primarily do three things you know we've been working in Maryland for you know since the early 90s so we worked with a lot of school districts in Maryland, uh, but we we do we're working with districts in Illinois, in uh, Virginia, uh, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and that list is growing. Uh, but the the primarily the thing three things we do is um, school transformation, and that is a three to five year partnership with the districts that we work with, um, and. Essentially, what that entails is a district will reach out to us and say, Hey, we really want to um, change how we deliver educational services to all learners. And uh, there's an assessment piece um, where we go over quality indicators and we figure out, you know, where, where are the weak areas, where are the challenge areas, where where are areas of strength. And then for the first year, we're really just planning. On how to get to more inclusive practices, and so um, you know, we worked with Cecil County Public Schools in Maryland in the early 2000s, and um, they've been they've continued that work, you know, um, you know, to to this day. So they've been doing this work for over 20 years, Um, and you know, we've worked with additional uh, districts in Maryland, Um, but that's the that's the first thing that we do. And then the second thing that we do is professional development and workshops. Uh, and that could be one-off things. Uh, you know, Maybe it's a co-teaching workshop. Maybe it's a behavior support workshop. Uh, and that's either online or in-person. And then the third thing we do is individual learner planning. And typically that's if a school district has a, a learner that it's just, it, they're having difficulty trying to figure out how to include the learner. And so we will partner with the school district and the family and facilitate a um like a person-centered planning mm-hmm. meeting and then once that happens then we work with the district on creating an inclusion plan for that learner and so typically that's just th- those are either with districts that we already have a partnership with or it's just you know ones that maybe are already um have, you know, more inclusive practices and are just trying to figure things out a mm-hmm. little bit more. So those are the, those are the big three. And then we have a bonus one, I guess, and that would be, um, all of our resources that we have. So, you know, the Think Inclusive podcast and blog, and then, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about the inclusion stories series that we're producing and then, uh, other white papers and resources that are on our cool. website.
0: Very good. How did you get connected with them?
1: Um, I first met, so uh, our CEO uh, currently is Dr. Carolyn Teagland, who is the former associate superintendent of Cecil County Public Schools. So, you know, so, so she actually, you know, has been, you know, uh, uh, partnered with our organization for a very long time. And then and she became a board member. And so now she is our CEO. But um, that happened at the end of last year. Uh, but our longtime CEO, Dr. Carol Quirk, um, she and I met at a Tash conference. Are you familiar with the Tash conference? Tell me more. Uh, so the the Tash conference is a um, an organization that was founded in. I'm going to get this wrong. I'm sorry, Tash. Uh, in the 80s, I believe. Um, Dr. Lou Brown, who is from um, University of Madison, uh, Wisconsin, and um I'm'm I'm blanking on the other people's names, but uh, they they were a big proponent of full inclusion for uh, learners with more significant um, support needs back in the uh, 80s and the ni- and 90s, and they have a research journal called uh, Research and Practice um, for uh, learners with severe disabilities, I believe, is what it's called. And they also have a journal called Inclusive Practices and they have an annual conference. Um, and it's a, just the most amazing okay. conference because the, the, the conference, you know, is a collection of educators and parents and people with disabilities. And they're all um, there because they want to move inclusion mm-hmm. forward. And and I learned about it because I believe my professors at Cal State Fullerton were the ones who, who like, you have to become a TASH member. And then Lou Brown came and spoke at one of our events at Cal State Fullerton. And I was like, this, this guy is amazing. He tells the best stories and was really integral in helping me change my mindset, um, about, you know, the completely ableist thinking of how we have these separate segregated programs. And so I went to the TASH conference in Atlanta. Uh, we presented, um, the Gail Wilkins, uh, the consultant, uh, for the Georgia Department of Ed, uh, and Damien and Damien's family and, uh, some of the, the people at my district, we presented at the TASH conference in Atlanta. I think it was 2011 and I sat next to Carol at one of the, you know, breakouts and we just started talking and, um, we just hit it off, and so you know, I, I think we exchanged cards, and you know, every every now and again, I'd email her, and she'd email me, and and uh, in 2012, I started writing and blogging um, for Think Inclusive, and I think she used uh, some of the content for their website at the time, and we just, you know, we're we just were aware yeah. of each other, and then in 2020, I was finally like, I think I need an you know, to leave my Uh, job because I'm just, I'm just ready. I'm ready to move on. And I emailed her my resume and I said, Hey, um, do you have anything? Do you know of anything out there? That's communications and disability inclusion. And she's like, well, actually we are looking for like a communication specialist, but why don't you just come on and, you know, bring the podcast, bring the blog. Um, And become our director and you can just do all of it under our umbrella. And I was like, that sounds like my dream job. So that's great. (laughs) So here I am.
0: So good. What a great story, Tim. I, um, TASH, T-A, what's the conference? T-A-S-H. I'm looking to this and and listeners will have links. Tim, you've just listed a lot of things that we are going to get links to, to put in our show notes. Okay. No, it's sorry. great. Don't be sorry at all. <laughs> we want more, we want all of it. And you talked about your Think Inclusive, talked about Think Inclusive, and then, which I'm familiar with, and it's a podcast and a blog, and listeners will have links to that. And then um I want to hear more about the Inclusion Stories podcast. Well, talk. you can talk yeah. about Think
1: Inclusive too. So uh Think Inclusive started uh, in 2012. It was kind of a like, well, what do what do I do now after the the conference? Because I was just so energized by meeting people that thought like me, you know, um, not very many people looked at education like I did uh, where I, where mm-hmm. I worked. And so I didn't have a whole lot of, you know, sympathetic ears. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I'm like, wait a minute. There's all these people from all around the country that are have been doing this and, and, you know, that are advocating and writing papers and Mm -hmm. writing books and like, whoa, wait a minute. And so I just felt, uh, emboldened and encouraged. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to start, I'm going to start writing. And so I started writing and I, I got some great feedback and, um, positive, positive feedback at the beginning. And so, um, a friend of mine, He's here in my, you know, little town of Marietta. He uh, he came over one day. Um, his name is Mickey Mellon, uh, and he said, uh, "You know, I heard you want a website, so so here you go." <laughs> and then he just pushed it, and I'm like, "Whoa!" Like, wait a minute! Like, we're doing this, and he's like, "Yeah, we're cool. doing this." <laughs> I love it. And so he set it up for me, um, this little WordPress site. And I just started writing and putting it out into the world and sharing it on social media and people started responding and I was kind of like mm-hmm. surprised, like, wow, like people were interested in what I had to say. And so, um, I also started to have people with disabilities blog, uh, for me, like, you know, right on the website. And so I would search out. You know for different writers who had their own blogs and you know we'd we'd cross promote and i got to know a lot of people that way and i also learned a lot like um i did not realize just the that my perspective was really coming from um uh, i'm trying to fix people with disabilities mm-hmm. rather than you know um how can i learn to support people in, in who they are and how they are, yeah, you know? And, and it wasn't until I started to really listen to people with disabilities that I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, this makes sense. And so along with the podcast, which, um, was really slow going at first, I think I only published one episode, um, that first year. And then in, 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 um, future years, I was able to, you know, um, increase the number of episodes and i think probably by 2018-19 i was publishing mostly monthly or bi-monthly and then when i came on uh with mcie we were bi-weekly and now we're weekly so yes so it's been a long long road a lot of uh a lot of uh learning with like you know all the logistical yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know.
0: Getting to a weekly, I, I'm oh, sure, yes. you know, getting to be able to produce a weekly or put a podcast out every week. Friends. It's a lot of work behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so much it takes work. a lot of systems to be built and put into place for that to ha- start to happen. Naturally. It takes
1: a lot, a lot, a lot. I'm glad you're doing yeah. it. So
0: wait, what is the stories pod? The inclusive stories podcast. This is a separate podcast. This is something that's newer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so this was like a little seed that that started growing. Um, I think right when I came on uh, uh, first with MCIE, and I have to I have to really credit um, Dan Habib because Dan, um, are you familiar with Dan? Uh, Dan Habib is a filmmaker. He he he's done a number of films. Um, one called including Samuel. Uh, one called called um, "Who Cares About Kelsey," so no, I'm giving you more links. We need all the links. <laughs> uh, the other the other one's called "Intelligent Lives." That is his uh, most recent one, and then he has co-produced a film with his son Samuel, um, who is a uh, a person with um, uh, cerebral palsy and uh, and is a non-speaker. He. Uh, he co-produced it. Uh, it's called, I think, the working title is "My Disability Roadmap," and so he contacted me, gosh, over a year ago, and said, "Hey Tim, uh, you know, we're we're want to do these screenings. Uh, would MCIE consider like doing a um, like co-presenting? You know, doing this together?" Uh, and I was like, "Yeah, that'd be awesome." And so, you know, in the as we were talking. He's like, well, do you have anything that you know you want to promote while we're doing this? And I'm like, well, you know what? I've always wanted to do like a documentary um, podcast series about inclusive schools. And he's like, I think that's a great idea. Like, why don't you talk to you know your boss about it? I'm like, I think I will. And so I, you know, talked to Carol and I said, look, I've got this. I've got this idea, but it's going to be a lot of work, like a lot of work. Like I want to go and visit inclusive schools. I want to interview families. Um, it's just, it's a lot of work. And and she's like, well, you know what? Like, it sounds amazing. Let's amazing. do it. I'm like, and then let's kick it off. Uh, at the same time we do this presentation with Dan. And so I put together a, um, a trailer with some existing sound, like audio that I have. And we played it at the, at the presentation. So Dan did his, I think it was like a 20, 30 minute cut of, of his uh, film, of him and Samuel's film. And then we did, uh, we presented my trailer and we had just a really great response. And I started looking for sponsors. And so we've raised about, um, $16,000 to produce this podcast. We probably need. I mean, we don't probably we need more to finish it, but um, so we're in the middle of production. Um, I've created a pilot episode that I've produced um, that I have presented at the TASH conference um, in last December. Um, I presented it at Club 21, actually, for inclusion uh, tools for the journey. And I've done a number of uh, virtual presentations. And so um, I have recordings from field recordings from Cecil County Public Schools in Maryland. I have field recordings from four sites in, um, or is it three sites? Um, Three sites in the state of Washington. Uh, So two elementary schools and a high school in Washington. I have uh, some field recordings from Westland Wilsonville in near Portland, Oregon, and um, a number of interviews from families here in Georgia. And so the, the, the premise of the series, is to tell the stories of families who have um, fought significantly to um, find inclusion f- for full inclusion for mm-hmm. their kids uh, one family uh, has a daughter with with down syndrome and one family has uh, a daughter with uh, extensive support needs and who's a non-speaker who uses um, augmentative and uh, uh, so a. a- AAC augmentative and alternative communication and so they tell their story and um i'll just quickly t- the, the the first episode is um the the family of this little girl natalia uh she's in second grade um she you know lives in the in the in, the, in, in georgia and her school district said well because you have you know these kinds of needs you cannot go to your neighborhood school where your siblings go to you have to go to another school and so the family said well you know we've been fighting with this district for a long time we're just we're tired of it we're tired of fighting so they revoked special education services and when you do that it basically means that um that student is a general education student. So she has, she has to go oh. to her neighborhood school. And so, uh, and that's not, so that's not, I, I wouldn't recommend doing that just like because trick, it a is trick way a, to get your it's, it's a trick way. <laughs> um, and, but for this family, uh, they decided to do it. And, um, and so they tell the story of how it wow, went. I want to hear that. And then, by the end of the episode, um, we you know it's like we're, we're going into an IEP, and the the family is like, well, you know, the district is saying this, and the district is saying that, and I'm just not sure. You know, it's all of the things that a family has to wrestle mm-hmm. with, right? And like, do we continue mm-hmm. fighting? Yeah, you know, for in a system that is not set up to include our daughter, or yeah. Do we take the recommendations of the district? And so, um, by the end of the series, that story will wrap up. And then we have another story of the, of another family in Georgia. And that is all contrasted with districts who already are inclusive. So I interview, uh, school leaders Mm -hmm. in Cecil County and they explain how, you know, if you are a learner with a disability and you go to your neighborhood school, you're included. There, no yeah. questions it's, it's done because it's an expectation and it's a yeah. culture and that's just the, it's just mm-hmm. what they do. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, and the only difference between Natalia and the children up in Cecil County is where mm-hmm. they live. That's it. It has nothing to do with the characteristics of their yeah. disability.
0: Wow. 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 So then, okay. I can't wait to listen to this. This is great. So Tim, your experiences with inclusion and you have this goal and like your whole work that you do, your life's work at this point is to create these inclusive spaces and classrooms and educational system. How do you see the system working against that? Like what what needs to happen? Is there like, can you give us top three? (laughs) It's really a trick question. I know it's a little (laughs) bit of a trick question, but what needs... What is missing? What needs to change? What needs to happen for inclusive practices to become sustainable?
1: Uh, well, number one, top top of the list is um, a commitment from okay. leadership, from school leadership. And we're really talking like it doesn't matter if you're in a public school or if you're in a charter school or if you're in a private school. Like as long as the people who are making the decisions and, um, you know, who are, figuring out how to fund everything and pay teachers and you know provide resources, as long as they have a commitment to including everyone, then you have the best chance for it to be sustainable.
0: Okay. Can I, I'm gonna interrupt real quick. Sure. Along those lines. So we're talking about leadership and I and this I would imagine is true for the neighborhood dance class or the soccer team or whoever's in charge of the space.
1: Absolutely. So
0: then what those people at the top who are in charge? What needs to change in their mindset? Like, what kind of a mindset makes that work? Then,
1: uh, does that make sense? The the belief. So we're talking about you know we have inclusion in practice and inclusion yeah. in belief yeah. or inclusion in philosophy. Um, they have to believe that every every human uh, belongs okay. in that space. They they already yeah. have to believe okay. that. You know, if, if you have a person who doesn't believe that, that, that says, you know, for whatever reason that learners with autism don't belong, you know, in that YMCA club or learners with an intellectual disability do not belong in general education. You know, I mean, you get, I mean, the thing is, is you get that mindset all Mm -hmm. the time. You know i i will always remember as a as a support specialist uh because after after i was a classroom teacher i moved into a support specialist role in my district and um you know it was part of my like well maybe i can do more Mm -hmm. you know at a district level position and so i would go around to different schools and support And I remember going into a classroom and it wasn't, I wasn't even, I wasn't even there to support this learner who had, who had down syndrome, but I remember the, um, support the, the administrator, the special education administrator look at me and go like, you know, pointing at the girl with down syndrome be like, yeah, that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. Like, like she doesn't belong. That was the message. She didn't belong. Yeah. You know? And so, and this is a person that has, you know, influence. And can make yeah. decisions, you know, and can influence the principle. Yeah. So as long as someone has that mindset, um, it's going to be very difficult to, uh, to yeah. change it. But you you need a core group of people in a district um, that have made a commitment. And then what you can do is um, develop a shared understanding of what inclusive education mm-hmm. really means and what inclusion okay. really means. Um, And so that is when we are working with districts, um, sometimes that's just that's I mean, well, it's where we start all the time, but sometimes it's it's a very long lead up to anything else changing because you have to change those mindsets first.
0: Yeah, I think what's interesting, too, as you say that is in my experience, it hasn't always it's not always someone blatantly saying your daughter with Down syndrome doesn't belong here. It's under the guise of your daughter's needs. Her educational needs are best met in this space. Mm -hmm. So then it's a little less harsh, but it's the exact same messaging, right? Like your kids' educational needs, this is where it will best be met. This is the services we offer you to best meet their needs. Look how kind we are, and then then that's in an exclusive, (laughs) in a segregated setting. You know. So I think it's that you have to be careful. People can be tricky, and they don't even realize it. Cause I don't think a lot of people are outwardly right. saying people with disabilities don't belong in our schools. Some are, but it's no, but very few people are like saying that statement. It's the way that it's all set up. It's under, they just switch the wording a little bit to make it seem like yeah, it's work. Yeah.
1: And they don't. Yeah. And you know, uh, I have a hard time, you know, uh, walking this line of like making excuses for them. Cause I'm not really, I'm not, trying to make excuses for them I think it's just a reality that it it, it, it just sure. is sure it is and so um, I, I remember this conversation too I had uh, I ran into a um, this was uh, I had already left my school district and I, 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 I ran into uh, somebody I knew that worked in leadership there and I was like, so what's you know what's going on how's it going you know all that small talk. And uh, she was like, well, you know, we're just doing what's best for mm. kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and uh, I hear that a lot. Yeah. You know, that segregated spaces, special yeah. spaces is what's best yeah. for kids, you know? And I absolutely wholeheartedly disagree mm-hmm. with that premise. You know, it's just we can design programs um, around the unique needs of of learners without having disability specific spaces Mm. um you can still support a learner who has uh, a lot of needs a lot of support needs um without creating a completely separate program for them you look around at schools where we've got programs coming out of our ears No. Programs, 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 <laughs> programs, programs, <laughs> including inclusion programs, which I think is hilarious, just like inclusion classrooms. Like, okay, you're the inclusion teacher. What does that make everyone else? Yep. yep. You know what you're you're in the inclusion class. I teach inclusion, mm-hmm. you know, come on. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have little patience for that. But, you know, that's also I, I have the luxury of of outrage because I'm no longer in the yeah. school system.
0: I I've shared this on this podcast and people within I I think within our school system, my my kids' school system listen. Some people do, which is fine. Our school right now is rolling out that by 2027 20, eight whatever all schools will will be inclusive. But I'm and I'm on like a committee as a parent, mm-hmm. but only kids in the mild mod program are getting inclusion classrooms. Oh, yeah. And and teachers, yeah. if they don't volunteer, then it's like lowest man on the totem pole gets the inclusion class. Like those two pieces right yeah. there, I'm all it's exclusionary inclusion, and it's a punishment. This is a mess. Like I'm not, I have very little no. hope.
1: <laughs> and that's and and, and I would t- yeah yeah uh, I don't, no don't no go ahead. Um, um, this this is something that um, if you if you ask you know any of you know uh, Carolyn or Carol uh at MCIE um uh, we have we internally when we have discussions um and we hear about something like that like they've they've already experienced districts who want to do that and it it doesn't work i'm sorry it doesn't work like it just doesn't work if if you are just like well we'll do a little bit you know um as long as you have spaces that are designed for learners with as extensive support needs, you will continue to fill them. And I guarantee that in your particular situation or any other district that it's like, okay, well, we'll just include the learners with mild to moderate disabilities. Where's that line? line? You know, where's the, you know, is it, you know, is this learner over the line of moderate Mm -hmm. under the line of moderate? and now you have as long as you have a space somebody's going to say they don't belong here they would be best served in the other space away from us away from kids yeah. so they're not quote unquote disruptive right. so they're not not quote unquote watering down our mm-hmm. curriculum you know it's just you have to have a complete system that's inclusive mm-hmm. that's not inclusion
0: it's not and i think and i love that i like you said if there's an inclusion class, what are the other classes? Right? Like, let's talk about the opposite of this. Cause you just got to say it out loud. You got to point to it. Like this is, can everybody see this? Does everybody see this? Can we work, <laughs> can we work around this here? Like it's very interesting. It's interesting. Um, Okay. We have to start wrapping this up. I feel like we could talk about all of this for a long time and I hope maybe we will come back another time for another episode. I, of course. I want to do two things before we, conclude here and that is the thinking of all the educators listening what is some advice that you would give like your high level this is the most important thing that you can do when it comes to implementing
1: effective inclusive practices in schools what would you say to educators uh well i would i would say um i would assume that they already have a mindset right sure. because they're they're probably you know already like I want resources. So I have a couple of different resources I think that everyone should um, uh, look to if you're learning, if you want to know more about what it actually means and the nuts and bolts of it. So I have two books, uh, Leading for All by Jennifer Spencer Imes and Josh Flossie. Uh, it's, a, it's a book by Corwin. Um, it's, it's well laid out. It basically tells their story of the district of Westland-Wilsonville. Um, and it'll give you language. I think Mm. when I was an educator and I tried to, I was like, I know this is the right thing to do. I know that there are districts out there that are doing this. I just don't know how to explain it. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, I just don't know. Like I don't have the language. I think this is a really good book that gives you language. The other one, your students, my students, our students, rethinking equitable and inclusive classrooms. Um, it's a book that we use a lot when we are engaging with the district and then also in our professional learning um, to share stories. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about before, I think stories are the most powerful way, um, tool to help people change yep. mindsets Agreed. because you can put yourself in the shoes and you can put yourself in the place of the, of, of the mm-hmm. storyteller. and a lot of times we can be transported and 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 make that change just by yeah. listening to that story or reading yeah. that story. So those two I think are really great. Another one is um, uh, reimagining special education, which is mm-hmm. a um, a book by Julie Coston and um, Jenna Rufo. So that's another one. Um, but those I think those three are great and. And then so beyond just educating yourself, uh, you need to find allies. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the only way I think I was able to stick around as long as I did was because. You know, I I did have some allies uh, in, in the district that I worked in, um, even in the school that I worked in, uh, so I was able to talk and kind of work through and. We could debrief and say like, well, let's try this or let's try that. But um, I needed an outlet and I needed to find people who thought like I did. And that was through, you know, social media, Mm -hmm. you know, like social media gets a really bad um, rap because of toxicity. And it it definitely is toxic. But I found people that that I could share resources with and ideas with and empowered me so that's why i'm still on twitter yeah (laughs) that's why i still have a facebook uh account and um i'm able to um commiserate and share and um you know know that there's other people who think like Mm me and i think that that is as really really important uh beyond that you know I wish I was more successful in changing the culture in my district. And, you know, I'm probably harder on it myself than than um, than I should be. Um, I'm sure that 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 what we did did make an impact, Uh, just not as big of an impact as as I would have hoped, you know,
0: or at least you can't Um, what you can see from what you can see.
1: Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So still, I would encourage you to find, you know, people in leadership to talk to. Um, I think that if I, you know, I was, I was all about convincing teachers, you know, uh, and I certainly got a lot of teachers to change their mind or at least perspective, Mm -hmm. but maybe if I would have spent more time, you know, asking for meetings with my principal or with the leadership, maybe, I don't know but um but if you're a family you know and you 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 are a parent um, or a family member or a caregiver um, and you know the IEP and having meetings with leadership is your way to um to affect change there as well um, and we do have some resources on our website one's called inclusion conversation starters uh, which is uh, on mcie.org/ MCIE-resources. And if you scroll down, you can find inclusion conversation cool. starters. And those are just some real basic articles, videos, um, books to share with with people to just get the conversation started. Yeah,
0: that's great. Is there a um, talking to parents and the resources and recommendations you have for parents who are advocating for inclusion in their child's classroom and school? You just named a really good resource. Is there a top book that you have, or would it be the same books that you would tell educators to read?
1: Um, that's a great question. Um, I think that the things that come to mind, um, yes, those books that I mentioned for educators, because I I I think that you know parents having the same language as well, you know, is important. So for parents, I would suggest um, Mary Beth Moore's book "Unwanted," um, and then um, I. You know, I've heard of this author Heather oh, Avis. I, I know that she <laughs> has written a few books about.
0: <laughs> I have a couple of her journey. Yeah, by no means an educational expert, but I've got my experiences and been around the block. Been in, been at it for a few years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's very kind. <laughs> um, and then your podcast friends, his, um. It's such a good listen to Think Inclusive. You've got great guests.
1: But yeah, so Think Inclusive has a number of episodes um, that, you know, uh, we have, uh, you know, families who have children with disabilities, educators who are advocating for inclusive education, um, research, um, researchers, uh, people who are experts in the field, um, and then also disabled advocates that are, you know fighting for them. Uh, we, we just had this one, this great story, uh, this guy named uh, Gage Robinson, who is in Minnesota, who advocated successfully for him to be supported at a um, local community college, mm-hmm. uh, rather than going to like the transition academy at his, you know, high school, because the high school that he was in, he, you know, he had some traumatic experiences mm-hmm. there. Um, and so, and, and he's actually, he actually spoke in front of the, um, Minnesota state legislature about changing those practices. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that one was really, that one was awesome. I love, love that conversation. So yeah, thinking clues is really, um, it's important to me, you know, it's, it's, I, I love having conversations about this and sharing people's mm-hmm. stories and, um, just trying to keep putting it out yeah. there to change mindsets and. Let people know inclusive education is
0: possible. It's good. You're doing such good work. Okay. Last thing, um, talking to me, to parents like me, a lot of parents here raising kids with Down syndrome and other disabilities, but I think the chunk of our listeners are caregivers to people with Down syndrome. And I think a chunk Mm. is our young. What is a word of advice or encouragement to a parent who is feeling weary and frustrated and overwhelmed by... Fighting for inclusion for their child.
1: Um, Well, I hope I hope you know this, but you are not alone. Um, And. And I'm always encouraged when I'm feeling that way, that there are people out there right now advocating right now. They're in IEP meetings. They're, they're the special education advocate. There's the special education attorney. Um, there's the family member. Um, there's the person with the dis, uh, with the disability. Um, there's the blogger. There's there's the the TikToker. You know, there's the there's the YouTuber. Everyone, everyone's pitching in. Everyone. So if you need a break, take it's a great. break. <laughs> you know, you can take a break because we are not alone in this fight we are not um and when you're ready go ahead keep going it's good.
0: it's good i love that tim thank you so much for being on the podcast today for your expertise for all the work that you're doing in our society and our world for inclusion for all and we'll have all these links friends you're gonna to head to the lucky few podcast.com and you're gonna get all of it we're gonna all of it so thanks tim so much
1: thank you it's a pleasure
0: All right, well, we're going to wrap this episode up. If you are a listener and you are a narrative shifter and you are a shouter of worth, head over to the luckyfew.co and use code PODCAST to get 10% off all narrative shifting gear. Josh Avis, thank you for editing this episode and Ashley Fracolossi for producing it. Friends, if you like this episode, share it with family and friends. You know what? Take this link, send it to your superintendent, send it to the head of special services, send it to your principal at your school. Send it to all the high ups there. Um, and maybe even like a, the episode and the webpage or something so that they can get the links too. so many good links on this one. And you can share it with your family and friends. Of course, don't forget to subscribe. If you have not already check out the lucky few for show notes and all the things we talked about today and make sure you're following on social media at the lucky few pod listener. You are slaying it. You are slaying it. And we're so proud of you. We're here cheering you on always. And we love you can't wait to be together next week. Until then, goodbye.